Amen. It's good to be with you guys this morning. How's everybody doing? All right. Once we uh, get away from these masks and everything and I say, how y'all doing? Then you'll really be able to, to say it out loud. And I understand we got to be careful with uh, spreading that kind of thing. But uh, this morning we're finishing our sermon series entitled uh, The Power of Story and How His Story Changed It All. So there's great power in stories. We, we love to hear a good story. I think that's why we love to go to movies so much, because they tell a story. That's why people love to read books many times, because the, they get so involved with the story and the characters. In the New Testament, as we read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, as we see how Jesus interacted with people, and we, and we understand from the prophecies from the Old Testament, and, and then the book of Acts, how the, the early church continued on telling the story of Jesus, and, and the death, and the resurrection, and the power that is available to us, that our sins may be forgiven, and, and then the letters in the New Testament of, 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 of just carrying on this, this uh, lifestyle of, of Christ likeness uh, is so encouraging. But this morning, I, I want us to look at the fact that Jesus said uh, in Luke 19, verse 10, uh, for the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. And that's in your bulletin. Uh, we've been looking, when I, as I've been doing the sermon series, I've been looking at some of the things that Jesus said about his coming. Why was he here? A couple of weeks ago, we looked at the fact that Jesus said, I came, or the New Testament said that he came to destroy the works of the devil. Uh, and then the first week, we talked about the fact that, that Jesus came that he might die, that we might have life forevermore. But this morning, he's, he says, I've come to seek and to save the lost. Uh, the New Testament uh, helps us understand our state, how we're doing uh, as human beings. And one of the things that the, the scriptures describe as uh, before we become a Christian, before we trust in Christ, before we are reconnected with our creator, we understand the fact that we are lost. We're not connected. We're not a part of God uh, as he desired when he created us. And because of that, we're, we're lost. So this idea, this metaphor of, of being lost is, is so throughout the scriptures. Uh, another metaphor that helps us understand our state or, or our condition is that we're in darkness. Spiritually, we're lost. Spiritually, we're in darkness. Jesus is the light of the world. And as Jesus has come and begin to reveal the Father, then the lights begin to dawn. We begin to able to see things accurately and, and we're no longer in darkness based on how we've lived our life and, and, and being separated from God. But, but this idea of being lost, um, I was trying to think, you know, I don't, I've never been lost, thank goodness. I, I've, I've made some wrong turns in my car, but I've, I've never been lost. But I've talked to people who were lost, maybe as a child, or maybe they got lost somehow, and, and, and just the feelings that they expressed to me and how, how uncomfortable that was of being lost. Uh, the closest I ever came, I was, I was 14 years old, uh, I was in a scout troop in Columbus, Georgia, uh, and we had gone out to Philmont, New Mexico, which is uh, a scout reservation in Cimarron, New Mexico. It's called Philmont, and uh, we were there for maybe almost 14 days, and, and you hike and you camp and you hike and you camp, and, and each camp that we went to had a different theme. One of the themes was uh, at Cypher's Mine, so we learned about how the, the miners would, would mine for, for gold, and we got to mine in one of these little creeks, and nobody got any gold, but we would, we would learn about the life of a miner, and we would, we would get the pans, and we did that, and, 
And uh, one of the, another place was Bobien, so we went to, to that particular camping area within the mountains of New Mexico in the Philmont Reservation. Um, uh, it was a horse, uh, horses, so we learned about horses, and we got to ride horses, and we, and we learned about the life of cowboys and things like that. Well, while we were at Bobien, I was gathering camp, uh, fire for our, firewood for our, for our campfire, and uh, I was pretty good ways from the campsite. And, you know, I had a bunch of firewood in my arms, and, and, I, and I thought, well, this is about as far as I should go, because I need to turn around and, and retrace my steps, because I'd gone a pretty good ways, and I was pretty proud of the stack of firewood I had. But the, but the thought dawned on me, what, what if I got lost? Now, I, I had a pretty loud voice, and I could holler, help, you know, that they would hear me. I wasn't that far, but I thought, what if I got lost? And, I, and, and just the, the sheer terror that kind of went through my body for a split second was like, that's not where I want to be. I, I don't want to be lost. Um, and so I had all this firewood in my arms, and then I heard this. And I looked around and said, what is that noise? And this big elk was just going through the woods. <laughs> and I saw this big creature. I mean, we've been around horses at Bobby Inn, but it's like this, this was like a wild creature. Just And my knees kind of got, you know, it's like, oh, my God. You know? So I thought, I better get back to the campsite pretty quick. You know? So I got back, and I got to tell everybody, I saw an elk. I saw an elk. No, you didn't. Yes, I did. No, you didn't. Yes, I did. Well, you know how boys will do. Well, anyway, um, but the thought of being lost really is, is not a uh, comfortable thing. Uh, we, we don't want to be lost. We want to be connected. We want to we be where we need to be. And Jesus said, I have come to seek, to look after, to search for, and, and, and to and pursue those who are lost. And we know our state uh, is that we're all lost apart from having faith in Christ and being united with God the Father. And so this is said at the very end of a story that you learn probably as a child if you grew up in church, and that is the story of Zacchaeus. So in, in Luke chapter 19, we, we see that Jesus is going uh, through the region, and he comes to the city of Jericho. Now, you might remember Jericho from the Old Testament. That's where Joshua and those who come into the promised land to, to inherit the promised land, they come to the city of Jericho right off the bat. It's a walled city, a massively protected city, and they walk around the walls, and God supernaturally brings the walls down. So, you know, Joshua fit the battle of Jericho, you know, that song that you might have learned. But anyway, so, but Jericho was rebuilt. Um, and so Jesus is going into the city of Jericho, large crowds are following Jesus. Now, we don't know how many people that are, but when the Bible talks about large crowds and Jesus feeding them, one time he feeds how many? 5,000 men. We don't know how many women and children. And then another time he feeds 4,000 men miraculously. So crowds are not like 30 people, 40 people. I mean, there could have been thousands of people following Jesus as he enters into Jericho. And so as he's entering in Jericho, we, we're introduced to a man named Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus is a chief tax collector, and he's rich, the Bible says. So he's got a lot of wealth, and many times the tax collectors got their wealth by defrauding the Jews that they were collecting the taxes from. That's why they were hated so much. So if you owed $100 to the Roman government, then a tax collector would say, you, you, you owe $150. And they would give the $100 to, to the Roman government, and they would keep the 50 themselves. They could do that. There was no recourse that you had at that time. There was no appeal that you could make to, to, to say, this guy's robbing me. Uh, they just did that, and so they were hated. And so all throughout the New Testament in the writings of the Gospels, you see when, when it talks about a tax collector, they're looked down upon. You, you, if you don't know that, it's, it's very, very um, uh, 
clear in the scriptures. So Zacchaeus uh, is, is a chief tax collector. He's wealthy, and Jesus is coming through, and Zacchaeus wants to see him. And he can't because we're given another insight. He's, he's very short of stature. So he's a short man. And so as we think about crowds gathering to watch somebody uh, or watch something, I, I think about parades. And, and you think about some of these big parades and people are three, four, five, six deep on the streets, you know, wanting to, to see. Well, I think about that when I think about this passage and I'm reading it. And then I multiply it. Uh, it, it's like Master's Week is coming up and everybody's going to you know, want to watch the Master's. Well, back when you could go and, and attend it in person without any restrictions, you know, guys would want to see uh, some of the famous golfers. And, and, and the crowds are so thick as you see it on television or if you're there in person. And it's just hard to see if you're short. So what Zacchaeus does, he runs ahead and he climbs up a tree. My translation says a sycamore tree. And if you go to the Holy Land now, you go to Jericho, there's still sycamore trees there. And there's one massive one that all the tour buses stop at. And uh, it's just a massive tree. And, and that's the type of tree that he uh, is described in the New Testament that he climbed up. So he climbs up this tree and he's looking down and he's waiting on Jesus to come down the road to get to where he is so he can take a good look at him. We don't know how much he knows about Jesus, but he does know enough that he wants to see him. He's, he's intrigued about who this uh, traveling rabbi is, who's this teacher, who's this preacher, who's this amazing person who does miracles. Well, Zacchaeus is in the tree. He's waiting, and as he's getting close, he's saying, oh, yeah, 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 I'm getting a good look at him. Jesus stops right where Zacchaeus is in the tree, and he looks at him. He makes eye contact, and he says, Zacchaeus, I want you to hurry down from the tree because I'm going to go to your house and we're going to have a meal together and in between the lines, and we're going to spend some time hanging out. Well, Zacchaeus is like, what? You want to spend time with me? He hurries down, and the religious leaders who are around Jesus enough to be able to see all this and this, they're upset, and they said, why is he going to spend time with that sinner? That person who has committed sin, that person who's not wholesome, why would Jesus, this holy person, this rabbi, this teacher, why would he spend time with that wicked man, Zacchaeus? And so this is powerful. When Zacchaeus interacts with Jesus, this is what Zacchaeus says. As they're walking to his house, he said, Lord, half of my possessions I'm going to give to the poor. And if I've defrauded anyone, I'm going to give them back four times as much. And then Jesus says this, salvation has come to your house. For you too are a child of Abraham. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save the lost. So that's the context. So Zacchaeus, now Fran talked about generosity a few weeks ago. When Zacchaeus encounters the living God, when he, when he stands face to face with Jesus, there's a transformation that takes place and it starts right here in his heart. And I would say the same thing. When you and I encounter the living Christ, when you have had an encounter with God, there's a change that takes place in us because God is drawing you and drawing me to himself and every person he's ever created he's wooing he's drawing he's he's seeking after you he he wants you to be found because you're lost spiritually 
He wants you to live in the light and not in the darkness. So there's this change that takes place in Zacchaeus' heart. And he says, I'm going to give half of what I have to meet the needs of those who don't have very much. And half of what Zacchaeus had was probably more than what everybody else has because the Bible says he was very rich. So he says, I'm not going to be selfish any longer. I'm not going to keep everything I have to myself. I'm going to start looking and meeting the needs. So, so like next Sunday, if y'all want to go help us take things to make an outreach, if you want to bring canned goods like this, so you can bring them to the church, or after church, you can go to those two Kroger's where we got the, the, the trucks there to receive. And because you've got excess, maybe. You've got more. You've got, you've got an opportunity to be generous. And so there's opportunities all year long, of course. And don't feel guilty if you don't participate. But what Zacchaeus said is, man, I'm reading between the lines, but I thought, he probably thought, I've got so much. I've got so much. And I know people every day that I pass who are hurting and who are suffering. And, I, and I'm going to do something about it. And then he said, if I've defrauded anyone, which he probably had, because he could take the $50 when he said, you owe $150. And, and he said, if I've defrauded anyone, I'm going to give back to them four times as much. So if he took $50 from that person, he's going to take, what, $200 and say, listen, I, I cheated you. And I can do it legally, but it was wrong in the eyes of God. And, and, and I just want to tell you I'm sorry. Of course, I'm reading between the lines. But I, I want to bless you. Because, because I've defrauded you, I've cheated you, I've, I've, I've done you wrong, and I've benefited from it. And I've met Jesus, and I've met the most loving person that ever walked the face of the earth, and love does not defraud. Love does not steal. Love does not hurt. But love blesses, and love cares, and love's do, love does something to lift up and not to tear down. Zacchaeus was changed. He was lost. And when he encountered the living Christ, he responded to that grace, and he too became a follower. He too became a child of God because Jesus has come to seek and save the lost. We understand more about this seeking and saving from some parables that Jesus told just a couple of chapters before, chapter 19. Chapter 15, as, as Luke writes, he, and all the gospel writers do this, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, they, they select certain things out of the life of Jesus and they write it. And many times there's a pattern, there's a, there's a reason they, they have placed it where they did. And, and so as, as, as Luke is choosing to talk about the things that Jesus said along these lines about seeking and saving the lost, and then he talks about Zacchaeus a couple of chapters later, it's not a coincidence. There's, there's an understanding. As, as we read the Gospels, it's like the writers are saying, I can't tell you everything that Jesus said and did, as John talks about in his Gospel, because all the books in the world, they couldn't contain that. But these were written that you might believe, John said. So, and, and don't misunderstand and think, oh, Jesus did some bad things, so they didn't write about that. He never did anything wrong. He was tempted in all things, but was yet without sin. He, he, he had 
opportunities like you and me because he was flesh and blood, even though he was holy God and holy man. We, we, we don't understand that. It blows our mind. But, it, but, but in his humanity, he could have he done something wrong. He never did. That's why when he was nailed to the cross, he could be my sacrifice and your sacrifice. He, he really was the only one who didn't deserve to die. So because he chose to die in my place, I can be forgiven because there was that innocent, pure, holy sacrifice, Jesus. And, and you are forgiven too. So, so Luke 15, there, and you read these when you get a chance, and, and you might already know them very, very well. But he tells parables. He tells, we're talking about the power of story. He, he tells these stories so you can remember them, and then you think about the, the spiritual truth that's connected to that. So the first one of the three parables that go together is about a, a shepherd, and he's got 100 sheep. And one of the sheep, he's wandered off. And he's left the security, he's left the protection of, of the sheepfold. So he, in this parable, Jesus said, the shepherd leaves the 99 and goes and search and looks for that lost sheep. The 99 are fine, the 99 are safe, the 99 are protected. But when he finds that sheep, he places it on his shoulders and he rejoices. And he goes back and he tells the other shepherds, let's celebrate because my sheep that was lost, valuable to me, that's why I was willing to look for it, has been found. Now that shepherd didn't beat that sheep, that shepherd didn't scold that sheep, that shepherd celebrated because he loved the sheep. The second parable, this woman has 10 coins, and there's whole theological things about the significance of the coins and all that kind of stuff. She's lost one of them. And because that coin is valuable, she sweeps the entire house, Jesus says in the parable, until she finds it. And when she finds it, she celebrates. She calls her friends and says, hey, celebrate with me because I found this coin that I had lost. And then the third story is about a young man. And he goes to his dad, and he says, I want what I'm going to get when you die. Give me my part of the inheritance. So his dad does. He sells some things and he, and he, and he accumulates the wealth that he was going to give his son upon his death. And he gives it to his son. And his son leaves for a distant land. So he had a lot of money. He didn't go to the town next door because he only had 40 bucks. I mean, he, he and, and as Jesus tells the story, he squanders it in loose living. He makes poor moral choices. And it gets to the point where he doesn't have anything left. He burned through that money real quick. Now, he was probably the most popular guy because he was buying drinks for everybody at the bar, and he was wearing the nicest clothes and driving the nicest camel and all that kind of stuff. I mean, he, he, he was part, he was, he was the top dog. I mean, you know, here he comes, hey, you know, you know, and so everybody loved him until he, he had no more money left. And then Jesus says in the parable, a famine hits the land. So now everybody's struggling. This guy doesn't have any more resources, and he can't get a job because... Everybody's struggling until he finds this one man. And he said, hey, I, I got some pigs out there, and I, I, I'll let you feed them, and I'll pay you to do that. So the boy gets what little there is, and he feeds these pigs. Now, a good Jewish boy being around what is unclean dietarily, that, I mean, so everybody listening to this parable says, this boy's at rock bottom. I mean, he's feeding pigs. And then Jesus said, he, the boy, longed, craved, desired to eat the things he was feeding the pigs. So he is just, he's, he's at his lowest. 
And then I love the verse that says, he came to his senses. This is verse 17. The boy's sitting there, probably standing in mud, starving. Even the stuff he's feeding the pigs is starting to look good to him. And he comes to his senses. And he says, I'll go back home. Because even the men that serve my father as servants who work for my daddy, my dad takes good care of them. I'll go back home. I'll say, Father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm not even worthy to be your son. And he decides to do that. And then when the father sees his son a long way off, he runs to meet him. Now, my very first summer when I came to Martha Bowman two years ago was on Father's Day. And every time I go to a church, it's on, usually we move on Father. I preach from that passage. And I remind everyone that Jesus is revealing the heart of the Father to us in this parable. Jesus is trying to tell us, this is how Almighty God, holy, righteous, Almighty God, responds to you and to me when we repent of our sins and come to him. When we come to God, this is how God responds. He, ma he makes it very clear. The father runs up to the boy, his son, and he hugs him, and he kisses him. And the servants who are following, freaking out probably because the master has been running, by the time they catch up, he says, put sandals on his feet and a robe on his back and a ring on his finger. My son who was lost has been found. He who was dead is alive. And you know that calf we've been feeding, getting it real fat so we could eat? Let's kill it and celebrate. Let's throw a party because my son is back. Those three parables help us understand God's response to you and me because he seeks to save the lost. The daddy in that parable didn't scold his son. He didn't say, you know, oh, we've heard reports about you and how you've embarrassed our name. He didn't say with guilt, you know, your mama goes to sleep every night crying, wondering if you're dead or alive. He didn't throw guilt on him. He didn't, he didn't say, if you come back to my house, you've got to do this. He didn't give him a list of rules and regulations of what you've got to do to now be my son again. In Jesus, there is forgiveness for every sin we commit. And the heavenly Father who created you and created me wants those who are lost, and that's every person because of our sin, to come home. And when you and I come home, and you have, you, you, you put your trust in Christ, but if you ever stray, if you ever, you know, get wayward in how you're doing, remember what Jesus said, I've come to, to, to bring you back. And God's not going to scold you, and God's not going to say, well, now that you're back, you need to remember to do these, these and that, because love responds like Zacchaeus did, like Jesus does. He who's been forgiven much loves much. And as you and I come back home and God loves us and God kisses us and God puts a robe on our back and sandals on our feet, we respond to that encounter with the living God by being generous and forgiving and patient and kind, just like the scripture says love is in 1 Corinthians 13. Now, God has created each one of us. Psalms 139, 13 and 14. David reminds us of this. He says, for you formed my inward parts. You wove me in my mother's womb. I will give thanks to you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. 
The scripture talks about God being the potter and we're the clay. In Jeremiah, there's this beautiful scene where the prophet goes to, to the potter's house. And in Romans chapter 9, 20 and 21, Paul writes to the church at Rome and he says that uh, we shouldn't look to God who is the potter and the thing molded, say to the molder, why did you make me this way? Will it or should we? Or do we not know that the potter has the right over the clay to make from that same lump one vessel of honorable use and another of common use? So every person has been created by God, just like a potter makes a vessel. And every person's been given gifts and talents and graces and, and, and personalities. Our staff are going through some personality assessments to see, you know, just kind of see how each one of us are wired and how we respond. Because we work so well together, we want to work better together. And the more we know about each other and how they respond, the, the better we can be a team. And so I'm not going to say to God, why did you make Matt that way? Or why did you make Tiffany that way? Or why did you make Liz this way? Because the potter said, I'm going to make this clay the way I want it to be. God says, I'm going to make this person the way I want them to make. And as they move in their gifts and graces, they're going to reflect me in a beautiful way. And so all of us, as we have been found by the Father, as we have responded and, and got, left the darkness into, and, and live in the glorious light of God, and we live out how God's created us to be, man, what a beautiful thing that is. And every person that you've ever met, and you're going to hear me say this a thousand times, I say it all the time, at some point or time throughout the year, God loves that person. God made that person. No matter what their birth situation was, God chose to create that person. And he's given them certain gifts and graces to live in this world to reflect him. And if they don't know him yet, God is still seeking. God is still searching. God is still wooing them back because he made them unique. He made them to know him. And they're lost. They're spiritually lost. And they might not on the outside look like they're terrified. They might not on the outside look like, you know, there's anything wrong. But those who don't know Jesus and aren't connected to the Father, when you really get down and you really talk to them and they're really honest, they'll acknowledge they're lost. They'll acknowledge their, their need. And they might not know how to describe it. They might not know, you know, Christian terms to use. But there's a longing, there's an there's a emptiness, there, there's a hole in their heart, there's, there's something that they, they can't get satisfaction as the, the Rolling Stones sing about. There, there's, they, they know there's discontentment in their life because they're lost. Spiritually speaking, we all are. And so when you and I who've been found, you and I who know the joy of walking with the Lord, the, the, the beauty of having our sins are forgiven, when you and I have that same compassion like the shepherd to go out and say, yeah, I love hanging out with my Christian friends and I, and I love that, but I've got friends, I've got acquaintances, I've got people who, they're out wandering around. And I know God's trying to draw them to himself. God's, God's trying to reach that person. God might be speaking to you this morning saying, I'm wanting you to be a part of what I'm trying to do to reach them for the kingdom. And in Romans chapter 10, 
Paul writes to the church to remind them, to encourage them, to to help them think like the shepherd does about the sheep. And and he says this in, in chapter 10, verse 9, that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth we speak and confess, resulting in salvation. For the Scripture says, whoever believes in him will not be disappointed. For there is no distinction between Jew or Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, abounding in riches for all who call upon him. So, so we might put a distinction between, and back then it was Jews and, and Gentiles, non-Jewish people and people that grew up with being able to trace their lineage back to Abraham. We might say, you know, uh, we're from the south and they're from the north or they're from the west or, or, or we might have a particular political uh, viewpoint and somebody else or we might have a particular skin color or somebody. We make divisions all the time. And Jesus is saying, the Holy Spirit saying through Paul, Jesus looks at his creation And he made each one unique and different. And he's drawing them to himself. So there's no distinction. Verse 13, for whoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. How then shall they call upon him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him in whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they're sent? Just as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring glad tidings of good joy. God might be saying to you this morning, I want you to be that person who preaches. And it might be through your deeds. It might be through an invitation to church. It might be through a kind word. It might be through a text or through an email. And I'm not saying preach like preach a sermon to them. God might be saying, all I'm asking you to do in helping me woo this person is just mention, I'll pray for you. And that's all they need to hear. And then they know, oh my goodness, I can talk to this person about what's going on in my life because they must be spiritual. But God wants to use us to help seek and save the lost for that's why Jesus came. So however God's prompting you Respond, And it might put you out of your comfort zone. It might be like, man, I don't know if I should talk to that person about the Lord. Or maybe I I should invite that person to church. That's why we put those cards together. I don't know if if y'all have seen the little cards. And if not, we've got some at the guest service. And they're just little invitation cards. Just invite somebody to church. They can watch it online. They can come in person. But there's a little place on the back for a little note. But this idea of God using you and me to help seek and save the lost speaks to how much he trusts you. You don't have to be perfect. You don't have to be called to be a preacher vocationally like God's called me and others. But you are ministers of the gospel. It says that in the New Testament. And God wants to use each one of us in this wonderful task, wonderful calling to see those out there that don't know him come to faith.